welcome to the Coaches Rising podcast. This is episode number 62 and this podcast is for coaches, for practitioners, for people who are just interested in deep transformational change. And in today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Richard C. Schwartz, the founder of Internal Family Systems. I have really appreciated both bringing this modality into my work with clients, but also having a coach who worked in this way with me. And one of the really powerful shifts it allowed me to make was to to kind of shift into what Richard will call the self with a capital S and to be in a kind of unconditionally loving relationship with these parts that I was often actually identified with. So that was a developmental move in and of itself. And then from there, by being in relationship to these parts, they were able to be seen and felt and they often kind of began to um, relax and integrate. So we'll be exploring um, what is this approach and its implications and applications within coaching. Richard, a bit more about him, he began his career as a systemic family therapist and he developed internal family systems in response to his clients' descriptions of various parts within themselves. And he focused on the relationships among these parts. And he noticed that there were systemic patterns in the way that they were organized across clients. So we'll be talking about that. And he'll do a demo with me to demonstrate it. Um, I highly recommend you you check out his work. And without further ado, let's dive into the conversation now with Richard Schwartz. Richard, great to be with you today. You as well, John. In what are very interesting times right now. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I was saying I've never, I'm old and I've never lived through anything like this. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, well, I'm less old, I think. I'm certain about that. And I'm also, I was just feeling the response of going in the supermarket yesterday when all the vegetables were gone. There's no, no vegetables, you know. Yeah, it's the same here just feeling what's that like you know um, and we might do some parts work later and maybe I'll bring up one of those parts that came up then in that experience sounds good um and how is it there in uh the in you're in Amsterdam right yeah 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 it's uh the dutch are quite stoic so you know yeah. they're quite they don't like to make a big fuss about things but right now all the shops and cafes uh everything's closed down except um the supermarkets and the the pharmacies so yeah i haven't even been outside today yeah Um, that's happening here in boston too really quickly yeah yeah so um you know for me this is a real like liminal moment um uh in the sense of you know this habituated way of being together has has stopped you know and True. um so there's lots of potential and i think we can talk about that perhaps weave it into our conversation today like um that. many people will know you as the originator of internal family systems mm-hmm. and um so i and i think there's huge um it has such a potential for coaching as well it's mainly used in a therapeutic setting but um incredibly powerful in coaching so Let's talk about that today. Um, I'd love to, before we describe what it is, perhaps you could tell us 
What led to the discovery of internal family systems? Perhaps you could even talk about maybe some of the frustrations or experiences you were having in the way you were working and, and, and what led to the discovery of, of this way of working? Yeah, I'm, uh, my background is, is as a family therapist. I was always intrigued by systems thinking and was interested in how do you help people change. And, uh, and so many of the, the approaches I was learning about originally were only focused on the person out of their context. And so got interested in systems thinking system and family therapy is where systems thinking entered psychotherapy. So I got into that, got a PhD in that in 1980 graduated and was all about that. I'd found the Holy grail until I <clears throat> made the mistake of testing whether it really was the Holy grail did an outcome study and found a number of my clients. These were a group of bulimics, um, could, we could reorganize the families just the way the book said to do it. And uh, despite that, they kept binging and purging. And when I, out of frustration, asked them about it, they started talking this language of parts. And they'd say things like, when something bad happens, this critic attacks me inside. And then that brings up a part that can make me feel totally empty and worthless. And to counter that, in comes the binge, takes me out of my body. But then the critic comes back and calls me a pig in addition to all the other names. And that brings up that worthless part again, and they'd be in that kind of vicious cycle all the time. And as a family systems person, that sounded familiar. It sounded like these sequences of interaction that I'd been studying in family therapy. So I began exploring that, but with the assumption that most of the field makes about what these were, and our, most of the culture too, which is that the, the critic is some kind of internalized parental voice and the binge is an out of control impulse. And when you think of them that way, you're limited in how you can have your client relate to them. And so I was having a fight with the critic and try to control the binge and they were getting worse, but I didn't know what else to do until one client who cut herself on her wrists. Uh, and I was really upset that was happening on my watch. And I, I began to have her ask that part why it was doing it after I battled with it. You know, we fought and fought and it just got worse and worse. So then I just kind of gave up and said, let's just talk to it. And uh, it started talking about how it needed to do that when she was really young in these sex abuse scenes and to get her out of her body and contain the rage that would get her more abuse. And I shifted at that point. I thought, wow, this part played a heroic role in her life. And I could have her convey that to the part. And I did it too. And the part burst into tears because everybody had demonized it and tried to get rid of it. And started talking about why it still needed to do what it was doing. But as it talked about that, it didn't sound like it was living in the present, like it was frozen back in those abuse scenes. And that it also was protecting parts of her that were still very, very vulnerable and was still trying to contain the rage that was still there. And as I got that, I started thinking, maybe these parts aren't what I thought. Maybe they're like kids in a family where, like what, what we found as family therapists, you can't take a kid, acting out kid, out of a family and just tell them to stop doing it. 
you have to understand the role he's playing in the family and you have to change a number of the forces that are needing him to do that or are, you know, he, or he's reacting to in the family. And so I thought maybe the same thing is true with these parts. Maybe they are like inner children who get stuck in these roles and don't know better. And turns out that that's true now, almost 40 years later and thousands of people doing this all over the world, we can safely say there aren't any bad parts. They're all valuable. It's, my position is we're born with them. It's the nature of the mind to have parts, to be subdivided, to be multiple. The people with multiple personality disorder, it's just one end of the spectrum of what we all are. Uh, and, and their parts just got blown apart by the horrific abuse they suffered. But otherwise, we all have them, and they're all good, and, and traumas and attachment injuries force them out of their naturally valuable states into roles that are anachronistic in the sense that they were necessary when you were young, but aren't anymore, but they still think they are. So a lot of the work involves helping people find these different parts and begin to get curious about them and have uh, dialogues in which they learn a lot of things they didn't know often. But not just that, then also help them transform into their naturally valuable states. So that's one element, this idea of parts. Yeah. Just could you say something about the they transform into their naturally valuable state. I think that's the, the phrase you used. What, yeah. What's that? Like what's, yeah. So um, as I'm saying, they're out of their naturally valuable state because they're in these extreme, often protective roles, but then there are also parts that are frozen in their vulnerability. And, uh, and that's not who they are. Just like a kid in a family in some extreme role, that's not who he is. And they also carry what I'm going to call burdens, which are extreme beliefs and emotions that came into you from some trauma in your life and attached to these parts, almost like a virus, speaking of viruses, and drive the way they operate. So become a kind of new operating system. And once these parts are willing to give up these burdens, these emotions and beliefs, they almost magically will immediately transform into their valuable state. So the critic maybe is carrying your mother's voice and energy, uh, and it needed to, to protect you from your mother initially, or to get you to behave so that she didn't jump on you. And it's stuck back there. And as we help it see, it doesn't need to do that anymore, because you're not six years old anymore, even though it believes you are. Uh, sometimes it's willing just to give up that mother energy and it'll transform into being something entirely different. No longer is it in this role of the critic and now maybe it's just a kind of cheerleader for you. So that's just one of many, many, many examples. Mm. So this is a model of transformation. It's not like mindfulness where you just kind of get separate from your thoughts and emotions and notice them and accept them the way they are. This is uh, where you separate from them, you notice them, and then you get compassionate toward them because they're little inner beings. They're not just ephemeral thoughts and emotions. 
and you begin to relate to them in a loving way, and it turns out that that ultimately helps them transform. Let's talk a bit more about that because I've experienced internal family systems and I found it incredibly powerful because of what you just talked about um, that there's something about, and I think we need to talk about the self, you know, that's, that's also, I think fun, just so essential. Um, But, but I just was amazed by what happened when I met these parts unconditionally without an agenda to, change them or make them go away that's right and the, the how how rapidly they began to kind of unfold and change in front of my eyes and and kind of integrate in some way that's right and and that the, there was there was then this kind of like um yeah release of kind of um intelligence or a change of perception yeah. and um so perhaps you could talk about the self why that's important in this process. And then this, this notion of like, you know, the, un, the, the kind of compassion, the unconditional nature of this practice. Yeah. So as I was doing all that exploring, uh, as a family therapist, I'm trying to get my client to improve their relationship with these parts rather than fight with them. So I'm having my client dialogue with them. Uh, there's a, technique called the gestalt empty chair technique, which, so I'd have my, my client pretend to be a part of the cells in one chair and then be, be facing an empty chair, which was them. And then they'd hop back and forth. And then one client said, I don't really have to do that. I can just sit here and do it. So you'd be, Joel, you'd be sitting there and I'd have you focus on one of these parts. And now I want you to get to know it. And now that I'm hip to the fact it's not what it seems and it's actually good, I want you to have a good dialogue with it. And so I'm doing that with you, let's say, and suddenly, let's say it's with the critic, and suddenly you're furious with the critic. And it reminded me of family sessions where I might have two people talking to each other. One people gets very angry at the other and you notice there's a third person who's even covertly influencing the one inciting against the other. And as family therapists, we were taught to get that third person to step out, not out necessarily out of the room, but out of the line of vision. And things settle down and, you, and the two others have a good dialogue. Well, I thought maybe the same thing's happening here. Maybe as I'm having my client talk to this critic, some other part that hates the critic has jumped in. So I began asking clients, could you find that part and get it to step back in there? Same basic thing I was doing with families. And clients would say, okay, it did. And then I'd say, now how do you feel toward the critic? And, you know, sometimes it would take getting a couple other parts to step back. But at some point, universally and spontaneously and often suddenly, clients would say some version of, I'm just kind of curious about why it's calling me names. They seconds earlier hated it or they're afraid of it. And suddenly they're calm. They have confidence relative to it. And they're in non-agended curiosity about it, like you said. And from that place, the part would respond well and would share the secret history of how it got forced into its role and how it, really believes that it still needs to protect this way. And 
then my client would have a lot of compassion for it, another C word, <clears throat> and could con extend that, and then the part would relax a lot. And then we could learn what's keeping it in its role, which often by asking a question like, ask the part what I would say to you, Joel, ask this part what it's afraid would happen if it didn't do this, but didn't criticize you all the time. And in answering that question, you'd learn about what it was protecting. So it might say, if I didn't push you this way, you'd get hurt. And I'd follow up by saying, oh, so did you protect parts that have been hurt in Joel's life? And the part would say, yeah. I'd say, if we could heal those parts so they no longer were so vulnerable to being hurt, would you have to be so critical? And the part would say, no, but I don't think you can do that. And I would say, well, would you give us a chance to prove that we can? Because we can. So that would be a typical uh, first encounter with a protective critic. And then, then we would get permission from it to go to the vulnerable, what we call exile part of you, that maybe carries the hurt from the past. And if we could get you to form a connection with it that was trusting and then get it to show you and let you feel and sense and see what happened when you got hurt as a, as a child often, and then actually go to that child and take them to a safe, comfortable place. At that point, these parts are willing to give up the burdens they carry, the emotions and beliefs, and they'll transform and then they'll be happy, often playful inner children and then the critic can come in and see it doesn't have to protect that part anymore and we can help it into a new role. So, um, yeah, and, and in the, <laughs> back to your original question, as I did this with other clients, this getting other parts to step out and relax and found that it was like the same person would emerge in each of my clients with those same qualities of curiosity, calm, confidence, compassion. And then we have four more, uh, clarity, creativity, courage, and connectedness. It's what I call the eight C's of self-leadership. So that person would show up in my clients spontaneously. And I began asking clients, now what part of you is that? And they say, that's not a part like these others, that's me or myself. So I began beyond calling it the self with a capital S to distinguish it from the, the common use of the word self. So, and now, 40 years later, and thousands of clients and thousands of people using this all over the world, we can safely say that that self is in everybody, can't be damaged, knows how to heal, and is just beneath the surface of these parts, such that it'll pop out as soon as they open space. And that's a big deal. That is a whole different way of understanding human nature. I, that was a game changer for me um, that I've been a spiritual practitioner for a long time and um, working in this way really helped me get something, you know, like in a way that my meditation practice didn't. And that was the sense of when a part comes up and I'm identified with it. You know, and so I, st I started to, and then that, that, that shift back, you know, into self and then recognizing, yeah, from this place, from self, I can, 
be um, you know unconditionally kind of curious about a part and um, I you know I it, to me that the self in this sense points to perhaps the same thing that a lot of, of the wisdom traditions mm-hmm. are pointing to this this part this well it's not a part of us it's a you know it's this aspect of us that's free and confident and clear that's right. as you said that's right yeah as I found this in a bunch of different people I started to think wow this really contradicts what I was taught in graduate school because I was taught like most psychologists that to for people to have any of that they had to have had a certain kind of good parent good enough parenting during a critical stage in their childhood and I was working with clients that had been tortured on a daily basis there was no way that this came from the outside that these qualities came from some good parenting at some point. I just couldn't find the person who did that to him. And so I had to start questioning that assumption. And then I was lucky because I had some people, students, who said, well, just what you said, maybe it is what the wisdom traditions have been talking about. So I began to explore that. And indeed, I co-authored a book called Many Minds, Oneself, where we did look at every... Uh, wisdom tradition and in each of them they have a word for it and describe it basically the same way whether it's buddha nature or an atman or the soul and so on and so on and so my conclusion now is that i stumbled onto a way to access that that is in everybody and access it quickly and not just access it as a sort of passive witness but as an active leader which is different from a lot of traditions. Could you say something about that? Yeah, um, like I was saying earlier about mindfulness, but there are lots of traditions where you get to this place with a lot of the same qualities, but you aren't really active either in the external world or in the internal world. You're you're more just enjoying that, that state and you are watching your your part, what I call your parts, but your thoughts and emotions, without being any kind of interaction with them. And for me, it's not compassionate to watch suffering beings parade by if you could help them. And so uh, instead of just watching them, as I was saying earlier, we actively go to them. So this is mindfulness plus. It's plus the act of actually interacting with your parts and helping them heal. Yeah. And um, there's something, uh, yeah, that kind of the, the, the possibility of kind of bypassing, you know, like um, yeah. if I'm, if I've manufactured a state, a meditative state, you know, and, and that like these are inconvenient parts that come up, you know, um, that, that are like disturbing that state. So I kind of hold them at bay or, you know, I might even, actually be identified with a kind of spiritual ego part that's then labeling that was the significant thing for me i was like oh yeah you know actually a lot of the time i'm i'm uh, uh, this isn't spiritual maturity i'm i'm actually criticizing these i'm not okay with what is arising that's right I'm, i'm holding things at bay i'm criticizing things so it allowed me to kind of truly welcome things more yeah you were using your practice for what John Wellwood called a spiritual bypass, uh, which many, many people do. Many people come to 
meditation or some kind of spiritual uh, practice with a lot of trauma and they're looking for a way to, to handle it and it's often recommended. And you can get away from it. You can get higher than the what I call exiled parts of you. And it can feel good. And if you do a lot, you can kind of stay there for a while. But you're not healing these parts. And actually, they're feeling more abandoned by you. So I'm a kind of crusader for the person of the parts. And too many spiritual traditions see them as the ego, like the monkey mind. And, you know, the idea is that they're a pest at best, the enemy at worst. And there's a lot of judgment about them, as you were saying. You know, you have these, these sort of spiritually righteous parts that are going to judge every other part of you and, and also judge people for not being so spiritual. Yeah. And is that the difference for me between there's a kind of, um, you know, peacefulness or centeredness or courageousness or confidence that is a, is a kind of non-strategic, spontaneous arising of, 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 the, of the integration of these parts rather than the opposite, what you just described, you know, where it's like I've sat long enough that I've like kind of created this state, which is then, you know, I'm kind of, you know, and then I'm characterizing this in this more extreme end, but I'm holding that in place, you know, that state, you know, I've got to maintain it. Right. So it's kind of brittle or something. Exactly. And, and then um, you become addicted to the meditation. Right. Right. Um, and, and then one thing I want to highlight and see what you say about this, we're, we're going to talk about, you know, um, IFS and coaching, obviously, but um, what I loved was this, what I noticed was in my own personal development journey, it's like a lot of my um, action was actually coming from a part, you know? So subtly it was like a part wanted to get rid of other parts. That's how you've been naming it, you know, earlier that, that this part wanted to get rid of other parts because they weren't okay. You know, and once they were gone, but it was just coming from a part. And what I liked about this way of working is that um, once I was in self, it's like there was no agenda and, and it was fascinating to see that these parts do talk. Yeah. And it's not me making them talk. Yeah. They, they, they have their own ways. And that's, that's something I think very important that we could kind of jump over. You know, yeah. it's not like we're thinking this thing through intellectually. Yeah. It's, it's much more profound than that, isn't it? Yeah. They're actually speaking. Yeah, they're real. You know, it's a, it's a tough one in this culture because, Multiplicity has been sort of demonized as very scary or, or pathological. But it turns out they're all real and they're in there. They've got a lot to tell you. What you call thinking is often their discussions with each other. And it's, it's fun to help people wake up to that and start, start uh, interacting with them instead of just, you know, when we're, when we're so focused on the outside world, we're not really available to them as a leader. And so then there are a bunch of kids just, you know, off like uh, Lord of the Flies. And, <laughs> and they get more and more extreme and polarized that way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, important, isn't it? Parts polarize off each other, you know. That's, uh, could, could you talk, you mentioned trauma. And um, I think it's important just to ask, like, how do you see internal family systems working with trauma, it's become a very kind of 
you know, popular topic these days. And I think that's a good thing. You know, it's great. How, how do you see it is working with trauma? Well, yeah, it's become a very popular model for, for uh, healing trauma because we can, I'll say several things. First of all, it's very ecologically sensitive in the sense that we don't go to the parts that are stuck in the trauma without permission from the protectors who don't necessarily want us there. And we have to do a kind of sales job. I'm what I call a hope merchant. I'm selling hope to hopeless systems. And I know the common fears that these protectors have about letting you go to these places in the past. And so I can say, I get it. And we're not going to do it without your permission. But if you give us permission, we can go there and we can get that little boy that you left back there out of there and we can help him unload all this pain and we can do it without you being overwhelmed and we could probably do it in a couple sessions if you let us and then then you as the protector will be freed up to do something entirely different so it's often a, a, a very quick way to go to very scary places and the other thing is to do that the therapist or the coach needs to be in self need to needs to be in those eight c's of qualities and uh and also have the perspective that whatever you encounter is just a part it's not some kind of scary pathological symptom and when i can stay in self that way with my clients they sense the safety of it i'm very solid and uh calm and, and confident and then their protectors relax and they're much more apt to give us permission. And, you know, because th this is a non-pathologizing understanding of all this, uh, then we don't get scared by whatever we encounter in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And do, do you then see that, you know, cause I'll, there's a, this idea of trauma being stored in the body and with parts, you know, that, that there's, is, do you find there's this kind of embodied release of trauma? Like there's an embodied aspect of these parts. Yeah. Although it's a bit of a different paradigm than the, the body focused ones where the release or the catharsis or the full expression of the emotion is the healing factor in this work. It's more that you, Joel, would witness what happened to the part. You become a compassionate witness to your own history. And that might involve a lot of emotion and, you know, noise and moving your body. Sometimes it does, but a lot of parts don't need that. They just need you to watch the video and to feel some of the feelings and to just kind of get what they went through. So we go by what the part seems to need, not by what we, presume it needs because of some theory yeah yeah and again that that, that comes back to one of the things i loved about that, that when you drop in the, the practice is kind of doing itself in the sense of there's not a prescription about what should happen right. it's just kind of meeting in self it's meeting what what's arising in a way that it then begins to unfold further and it's, so it's very compassionate very compassionate. It's very empowering. I don't know if you found this, but as for many of my clients, as we get in there, they start to take over the session 
because when they access enough self, they just know how to relate in a healing way. It's almost like we just access this healing capacity everybody has, and we get out of the way. So yeah. it's, like I say, it's empowering that way. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. can do a lot on their own between sessions, which is really good for coaches too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like the meta competency, isn't it? Of actually, um, you get the hang of how this works, then you can, like you say, do it in between sessions. You start to notice when parts are arising. And even sometimes for me, it's just like saying, when a part's here, it's like, hey, I, I see you. Like, exactly. You know, and then like the part's seen, and it, it, I might not have the time to to kind of work with it in that moment, but. The part, even just by being seen, is like, ah, oh, there's, a, there's a relaxation that takes place. Totally. And in my life, as I go into challenging situations, I'll feel my parts getting rubbed up and starting to take over. And I can, in my, if you had a microphone in my head, you'd hear something like, I get it, but just trust me. Just let me handle this. You know, it always goes better if you let me deal with these things. So I'll talk to you afterwards. You don't have to jump in right now. So as you go, it becomes a kind of life practice, which I think is also very congruent with coaches, uh, where, you know, I might be having a conversation in my head five times in certain days. And as they relax, I'll just notice these shifts very quickly. And I'll find curiosity comes back and my heart opens again and so on. Uh, so yeah, it becomes a, a very practical kind of life practice. Well, I think this is a great segue into talking about the you know the implications in in coaching, and you know I'm interested in what you just shared because on the one side there is this kind of integration work or this healing work of noticing parts, but then there's also this sense of well, what what arises, you know. Then and then what? You know, what does that make possible? You talked about these naturally viable states, but perhaps you could just say something about um, a bit more building on what you just shared. You know, have you seen people applying this work in in coaching? Yeah, there's a large number of people bringing it to coaching now. There's a study group I think uh, that meets once a month or talks about that. And we're actually talking about organizing a training specifically for coaches. We're just in the preliminary stages of that. But, um, you know, it's one of the things I like about the coaching field is there's a kind of emphasis on, on strengths in people. And uh, that's very congruent with this model because that's what we access. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so um, – yeah. Do you um, do you find then that uh, because this is this is a topic I wanted to bring in that I think is connected. I think um, a lot of the clients I work with are committed to some kind of impact in the world, mm-hmm. and um, you know if I think about the world at the moment as well, um, there's a lot of um, activism going on in the world. And um, there are obviously a lot of crises and, and um, things that we face as a species, you know, this kind of complexity. Um, but it seems like 
a lot of the response comes out of a kind of out of parts to me. Like, you know, if you look at the polarization going on, it's like blatantly obvious. And perhaps this is the developmental dojo or imperative of our times that we're being invited to kind of access self as a species. But so my question, my, 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 my statement, my questions turn into a statement. And um, what do I want to ask you? It's like, what do you think about that? Like, do you, I totally agree. Totally an application agree. for this work in that way. Yeah, I do a lot of work with activists also uh, and find the same thing that you do, which is that a lot of their work is from a righteous or a kind of crusading or um, very uh, angry part. And it's a good motivator. It gets them doing these things but it can also be very polarizing for other people and for their loved ones around them. And uh, I just last week did a piece of work with a guy who had what he called the destroyer of injustice part. And that part not only ran his external life, but also his life within his family. And his, his wife was really uh, afraid of him because of it. And so, uh, you know, and when we found that part, it was protecting a boy who was in the middle of his parents' divorce and and everybody, nobody was paying attention to him and everybody was doing superficial things around him and he just got enraged at the superficiality. And, uh, and so we healed that and now this, uh, what did I call it, the destroyer part, becomes an advisor and helps him just look around and, and pick his spots and know strategically what to do, but trusts his self to lead in his activism. And as he shifted that way, you could just sense how much more effective he's going to be when he comes from this calm, compassionate place. He can still do the activism. He can still stand up against injustice, but to do it without uh, the judgment. There seems to be something about the, the holistic, um, you know, like if I think about activism, like coming from a, a part, you know, like it, it, maybe that's in the very nature of the name of it, you know, it's like, it's against something. And yeah. um, there is something about, for me, internal family systems where I would land in more of a sense of being whole and this being in self certainly feels whole, you know, yeah. and it's not yeah. against something. Um, and I, I wonder if your, your sense of like the intelligent action that can kind of almost like non-strategically emerge out of self, you know, that's, that, that's much more effective than. Yeah. 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 I used to say self doesn't have an agenda, but that's not entirely true. Right. Self has what we might call an intention or a desire, which is, which is to counter injustice. It is to create more balance and harmony and wholeness. And so self-led activists are still active and they're still standing up against things. Um, but as I say, they're doing it from this different place. And uh, so self uh yeah, the goal is, and, and, and like when I look at Donald Trump, I can see his exiles. 
you know, I think she probably had a horrible childhood with a really a bad father. His brother drank himself to death. <clears throat> and he took on his father's energy to protect himself from his father, and now he's inflicting that on the world. Um, that, that sense of uh, contempt for vulnerability and so on. And, but I can see all that. And so as I try my best to, to do something to stop him, I'm doing it with a sense of compassion too, which uh, again is missing when you're doing it from parts because they just see the protective parts of the enemy. They can't see behind that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 does it totally make sense? You know, like how can we help people? Because in a way, as coaches or therapists, we just become activists then, don't we? Yeah, that's right. You know, we've got our agenda. I want to change you or, you know, you've got something that I see and, you know, like, and then we're imposing that on other people. So it's the same kind of energy playing out. That's right. And, and when you do your therapy or your coaching from self, your client feels the absence of pressure. They feel your presence. You're just with them. You want to help them get to know themselves and they can pick the agenda about that. Yeah. I mean, that's something at Coaches Rising we've been, um, we are strong, passionate advocates for is um, that coaches develop access to self or presence, you know, is a word we often use. And um, because of what that makes possible, uh, you know, and, and then this sense of also that we can transmit that presence to our clients as well. Like you said, they, they not only feel it um, in relationship to their parts, but they, they also um, can actually find access to it. Um, and, and um, I think that's so important in these times and pres- Presumably, you know, in coaching, like a lot of coaches listening, and we can do a, um, a demo of this in a, in a couple of minutes. Um, presumably, coaches applying IFS, you know, they can start to help their, their leaders, the leaders, the whatever clients they work with to identify parts and parts that might come up in relationship to a particular coaching topic or agenda that they have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we should try a, I thought rather than doing a traditional session, we could do an exercise that might illustrate some of that if you want. Lovely, yeah, yeah. All right, Joel, so think of a person in your life who consistently triggers you. Could yeah. be an intimate partner, could be a client, uh, could be a politician. <laughs> yeah. So you have somebody in mind? I do. And put that person in a contained room in your mind. So they're not a threat. They're just uh, contained for now. But there's a window so you can see them. Yeah. You got that? Yeah. Okay. And then as you watch, have them do or say the thing that gets to you. And just notice what happens in your body, in your mind, as this protective part jumps up. Would you like me to share it? Yeah, share what you can. What's happening to your muscles and your heart? And yeah, I uh, I notice my forehead is like my facial facial muscles muscles are tensing. Uh-huh. Um, I'm like leaning in, uh-huh. and my throat's contracting. 
and there's a kind of like, ugh, like yeah. feeling. Yeah. Okay, good. And what kind of impulses are coming as you witness all that? There's a, there's an impulse to almost like lean in and control. Uh-huh. And um, it's like, there's this part that's like saying, like, see, you're like, you are, you are like this. You're just, yeah, you're like, you're, you're exactly how I see you. Uh-huh. Saying that to the person. Yes, saying it to the, saying it to the person. Yeah. And what does the person look like as you look at them through these eyes? They're they're uh, naughty. Like they're just um, malicious. Like in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell this part that's trying to protect you this way that you're not going into that room in this exercise, so it's safe for it to relax and stand down and see if it's willing to pull its energy out of you just for a little while. And as that happens, maybe describe what's happening with your body. It's interesting. It's like already I'm calming down. My, Uh my, like, I can feel my spine lengthening. Mm -hmm. And uh, my, it's like my voice is even deepening. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a sense of this part in front of me now. Okay, good. All right. And from this place, take another look at this person and tell me how they look to you now. Yeah, it's interesting. They even look different. Um I feel care for them. You know, I feel like I feel intimacy with them. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. It's like they're not, an, they're not the enemy right. right now. So if you were, we're not going to, but if you were to go into the room and interact with them, it'd be entirely different. Is that true? Yeah. 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 I'd be, I'd be curious about them. That's sure. what's happened now. It's like I, I'm open to them. That's right. So turn your attention back to the protector who's in front of you. And maybe just ask why it jumps up so big with this person. What's it afraid would happen if it didn't do that? Saying it's saying that you'd lose out. Uh, it's saying that it, it needs to protect me and that I'd be, uh, I, I don't, I wouldn't matter. Okay. It needs to protect me, yeah. All right, so it's protecting parts of you who would feel like you don't matter if it didn't do this? Ask if yeah. that's right, yeah. Yes. Okay, and ask it, if you could go to those parts and help them unload that feeling of not mattering, would it have to work so hard with this person? Yeah, it's, it, it's saying it wouldn't. And what, what, what might it like to do if it didn't have to do this job? It was freed up in there. 
it's a, it's saying interestingly it said it, it's it would play yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah <laughs> how's that sound john uh, good yeah yeah so let it know you're gonna keep working on this to try and free it up so it can pl play and it can let you handle this p this person yeah it's smiling now good all right so thank it for letting us know all this and trusting you and when you're ready then come on back Yeah. How does that feel? Good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel very present as well right now. Good. Yeah. So that's an example of something that coaches could do with their clients anytime. Yeah. It's about, I know we were in there maybe uh, seven, eight minutes and now you have a very different perspective on this person and um, you know about this part of you and what it protects. And so, yeah. 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 And, you know, yeah, I just see the developmental possibilities of this work, you know, coming out of this demonstration. Um, not only do I um, actually feel kind of in touch with my body in a way that I didn't before the demonstration, which is surprising, you know, because mm -hmm. um, we just worked for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but I see the I see the developmental possibility of it too. Like I've gotten bigger because right. there's more perspectives. There's a shift right. in perspectives. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to the eight C's, we have the five P's because I like alliteration, uh, which include presence and uh, patience and persistence and playfulness, but also perspective. So. You were, you were accessing that P of, of self-leadership. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for demoing that. And we're, we're kind of moving towards the end of our conversation. Uh, I'd love to ask you, um, what's, uh, you know, what's on the edge of your work these days or what, what's most inspiring you about the work you're doing? Uh, well, there is a, my guidance is to bring this outside of psychotherapy. We've done a lot within psychotherapy. And so coaching is one of the areas that we're excited about. Um, but sort of like you, it's, it's time for this. I mean, there's some urgency really to bring this further into the world because it, it can change a lot of things. And uh, there are lots and lots of, of ways that people relate to this, themselves and to each other that are based on misunderstanding of parts and not knowing who you really are, that you really are the self. And as people, if, if, if this, this could be common knowledge, it would change many things. So I'm looking for ways to, uh, to make that happen, both through uh, uh, activism, like I said, and through coaching, we do a lot of work now with uh, uh, mediators and and then also through celebrities. There are a lot of celebrities getting excited about this. And so the, yeah, the excitement now is really bringing this to the culture in a big way. Mm. And uh, as I say that, I used to feel like what an asshole I'm being grandiose, but uh, I've worked a lot with those parts so that I can, <laughs> okay, 
<laughs> saying that and and uh, working hard to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, that was the question I had as you were speaking was like, do you feel like there's something about these times that are, um, you know, fertile for this kind of work to proliferate in the world more than, say, a decade ago or 20 years ago? I do think that. I think uh, there's more, you know, there are things like the movie Inside Out. I don't know if you saw it, but it's, it's a great example of parts. And the, so there's more seeming acceptance of these ideas than there was a while ago. And there are more people pursuing spiritual paths that are complementary to this. Although, as we talked about, some of them are contradictory. And uh, I don't know why. I mean, some of it is my work that I've done on myself recently. I just feel like the more I do on myself, the more it emanates for some reason. So, so a combination of things. Just, um, I, just that brings up a question for me about, you know, something emanating from you. And um, I just had this thing where on one level, it feels like disidentifying from parts is essential into self. Yeah. And um, on another level, it's like there's an identification with something more profound you know, so there's disidentification, but there's then identification, not mm-hmm. with a part. And you said this emanation, and that to me speaks of that something more profound. Could you say what your experience of that is? Or yeah. what, you, what comes up as I ask this? Yeah, what I'm calling self is that more profound state. And to get there, you need to disidentify, like you said. And when you do, there's a kind of vibrating energy that I call self-energy, other systems might call chi or kundalini or something like that, that starts to run. And I think it's part of a larger field that we're starting to access. And and my accessing it and then also influencing that larger field starts to make things to change, starts creating ripples. So I, I you know, this would have all sound woo, sounded woo to me. Um, even 10 years ago, but yeah. the more, the closer I get to all this, the more all that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely for me. And do you think that it's a unique expression through you? No, I think anytime anybody accesses self, yeah, they're accessing this field that has big, big ripples. Right. And so my, my big vision really is to bring more self to this planet. And as I've, you know, when I work with individuals, we can look in their system and it seems totally help, hopeless. It seems like nothing can change this. There's so many exiles, there's so many protectors. But as I, I through myself, and help my client access and bring more self to that system, things start to improve in a, what we call a virtuous circle rather than a vicious circle very quickly, often. Uh, and I hold out the same hope for our planet that as we bring more self, even though it looks very dire and, and uh, hopeless, things can change very quickly. So that's what keeps me going. Yeah. Um, it, it, for me, there's a sense of um, that, that it does free up an almost like authentic expression of self through me that's maybe different than the expression through you. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, yet 
at the same time not and maybe um you know would you as a is there anything you'd just like to say as a closing statement to people and then you can let us know about where we can find out more about your work as well uh i think you know i think we've said it that uh these are very uh challenging times and opportune times i mean i i had to cancel <laughs> about six trips I'm just going to be staying in my house for how, who knows how long. And so parts of me were really upset about that and other parts were scared. And I've been working with all those parts to see that, you know, this is a chance to really figure a lot of things out and spend a lot of time with them, but also a lot of time just clarifying my vision and uh, getting stronger in that way. And so you know, that's the way I'm going to spend my time. You know, a lot of people don't have the same luxury I have because they've got little kids and they're, they're losing their, their income. It's, uh, it's like Maslow's hierarchy, you know. I'm above those kinds of needs, so I don't need to worry about all that, and I can be in self a lot more easily. Um, but uh, it, it can be a big opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. And what's the, where can we find your work, the website? The website is ifs-institute.com. And uh, yeah, most everything you need to know is on that. Yeah, I want, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, I just was about to thank you. So if there's anything else you want to say. No, I think that's it. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it, Joel. I, I really uh, think you get it in a deep way. And uh, so I've really enjoyed getting to know you. Yeah, thanks. You too, Richard. And uh, let's keep this conversation open if you're wanting to share this work in the world beyond therapy. Coaching, you know, is something we know about and have access to communities. And uh, I just want to support all these people around the world now that feel called to, you know, play on a larger playing field, perhaps. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I wish you well. And perhaps there's opportunity for others to connect with you in this few weeks when you're at home and, um, you know, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Richard. Well, take care. Yeah. Thanks so much. Okay, Joel. Thank you so much.